Well, let's uh, turn to John chapter 17 this morning, John chapter 17, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer. You know, there was two salty old men, kind of like Arturo and myself, who liked to rib each other, but um, this wasn't me and and Arturo, but uh, these two guys were kind of giving each other a hard time about how much, how irreligious they were. And one of the old guys said, you know, I'll bet you 10 bucks that you can't re- repeat the Lord's Prayer. Oh, yeah, you're on. And he begins to pray. Uh, he says this, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And the old challenged him said, I can't believe it. And paid him the ten bucks. <laughs> oh, one and the same. But um, yeah, the Lord's Prayer, John chapter seventeen. Now you might be thinking, this isn't the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew chapter six, where the disciples had asked Jesus, "Jesus, teach us how to pray." And, uh, and Jesus repeated these words uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 9 through 13. And uh, it was a model prayer that he was giving to the, to the disciples in teaching them how to pray. But now in chapter 17 of John, we truly see the Lord's prayer. Because uh, this is going to be a prayer between Jesus and his Father. Uh, Some commentators have said that uh, this prayer is really like bringing us into the Holy of Holies. Where Jesus is, as our high priest, is praying. And as we go through John 17, it's going to take us three weeks, uh, there's an outline that we'll be covering. The first is in verses 1 through 5 that we'll look at this morning. Jesus, in this high priestly prayer, prays for himself first, that he might be glorified. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus praying for the disciples, that the disciples might be glorified. And then the following week, we're going to look at verses 20 through 26, and Jesus prays for all the believers who hear the words of the disciples that they as well might be glorified. That's Jesus praying for us. And in all of this high priestly prayer, it is to be all to God's glory. That's what this passage is all about. And so uh, this morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And so let me read those verses this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given 
him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, as we look at this verse, this chapter, you know, a big question, where does this prayer fall in uh, the chronology of Thursday night? I have to be honest with you, as I studied this passage of Scripture, I always assumed that this was in the garden, that Jesus had prayed these words in the garden. But if you go to John chapter 18, verse 1, we see that that's not the case because 18.1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So this is before um, they leave the upper room. So when did Jesus pray this prayer? It was most likely after Judas had left. When Jesus told Judas, go and do what uh, you need to do, when he went out and betrayed Christ, in John chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus then says, uh, when he had gone out, referring to Judas, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glory him, glorify him at once. And so this is in the upper room. And so um, chapter 13 and chapter 14 takes place and it isn't until after, at the end of, verse, of chapter 14, verse 31 said, says this, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And so it's at this point that they leave the upper room and they go through the Kidron Valley. Okay, this is the ravine between the Jerusalem Temple and the, the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane. And so it's about a two-mile journey, and it's a steep ravine. So you go down into the ravine, and you come up on the other side, and it's quite a hike up to the other side. But it's through this Duran Valley that they probably came across the grapevine where Jesus uh, shares the illustration, I am the vine, you are the branches, that we look in John chapter 15. But this high priestly prayer probably took place toward the end of John chapter 13. And I can just see Jesus with his disciples before they leave um, that upper room, kind of huddling up with his disciples. 
Kind of like what we do sometimes as small groups or as a youth group, we'll, we'll get into a circle and hold hands. I don't know if this is what the disciples did, but it was in that meeting together that Jesus lifts up his eyes and prays this prayer. And what he prays is that he himself will be glorified. Now, that is an audacious prayer to pray. How can Jesus be so bold in asking the Father to glorify the Son? You know, if any Pharisees were around at this moment, they would have said, blaspheme. There's only one God, and he's not going to give his glory to anyone else, according to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. And here is Jesus in this upper room with his disciples, and he's praying to his Father that the Father might glorify him. Now, this isn't new for Jesus. Earlier in the week, okay, it's Passion Week. Uh, Jesus has entered Jerusalem um, on Sunday, and everybody was crying out, Hosanna, uh, Jesus saved them. He was going to be the political leader that they were, gonna, that they were looking for to overthrow the, the Roman government. And Jesus says these words in John chapter 12. If you've got John chapter 12, let's begin with verse 27. John chapter 12, verse 27. He starts talking about his death. Okay, this isn't what uh, those who, who, who cried out, Hosanna, this was not something that they were expecting to hear. But he says this in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 33, he said this to show, but what, by what kind of death he was going to die. And when they heard those words, when the crowd heard those words, they were appalled. And that's when they began to turn on Jesus. And so they're celebrating the entrance of Jesus on Sunday. But by uh, Friday morning, they were crying, crucify him, crucify him. Because he's a liar. He's a phony. He didn't live up to what they anticipated, they expected him to do. And so when Jesus prays the Father, glorify me, you know, he, he's, he's asking the Father 
for something that is not new. He knows that through his death and resurrection, he is going to be glorified. And so how can Jesus be so bold to request that he be glorified? I want to give us give you six reasons this morning from this text. Okay? Number one is found in verse 4, John chapter 17. Because of his obedience. Verse 4 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus can be so bold because he was absolutely obedient to the Father's will, even to the point of death. He fulfilled every prophecy he had performed, everything that the Old Testament said uh, anticipated the Messiah would do. Jesus has glorified the Father through his obedience. Jesus lived a life of absolute dependence on his Father to the very end. The Bible says that when Jesus died, he died with a prayer of dependence on his lips. He said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It It was food to his life. It was his nourishment to live in obedience to the Father. And so when he prays, and as he is bold about asking God to glorify him, it's because of his obedience. He's done everything that the Father has required him to do. Not only do we see his obedience, but Jesus can be so bold because of his eternal position as the second person of the Trinity. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Restore to me the glory I had with you before the world existed. In making that request, Jesus is looking beyond the cross. Jesus knows what he's about to face and how painful, how difficult that is going to be. But in getting beyond the suffering, he's looking at what is going to happen with his life. He is going to be glorified. He's looking beyond the pain. He's looking beyond the suffering. And this is a great principle for you and I. My friend, if we're just focused on the pain, if we're just caught up in the storm and not trusting who God is on the other side of the storm, the promises that God says that he's going to be and deliver us through in our life, we can be overwhelmed. 
Jesus didn't just look at the cross, but he was looking at his glorification beyond the cross. And he says, restore to me the glory I had with you before the world existed. Who is Jesus? Church, Jesus is God. Jesus is describing his divinity. And we are introduced to this, aren't we, in John chapter 1. John goes to great lengths in this book to let us know that Jesus is God. The way he describes Jesus. Let's go back to John chapter 1. These are John's very first words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What is John saying about Jesus, and what is Jesus affirming in John chapter 17? Number one, Jesus is preexistent. Before the world began, began in the beginning, Jesus was already with the Father. Restore to me the glory I had with you before the world existed, Jesus says in his prayer. So Jesus is saying that he is pre-existent. And John describes Jesus as the Word, the Logos, the Logos. We have to remember who... John is writing to uh, in this book. He's writing to Greeks. And Greeks understood that behind everything that they saw was a massive intelligence. They didn't know who it was or what it was, but they described this massive intelligence that caused all this to come about as the word. And so in John writing this book, John says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus is telling the Greeks, he's telling us, and Jesus is affirming this. I don't know where this is coming from. And Jesus is affirming in verse 5 of chapter 17 that Jesus existed with the Father before the world began. Jesus is eternal. He is co-existent with with the Father. He's co-existent with the Father in verse 2. In verse 3 of John chapter 1, he is the creator God. All things came into being by the word. And the word, without the word, without Jesus, nothing 
has come into being. Jesus is creator God. And then I like what it says in verse 4. All things came into being through him, still in chapter 1 of John. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Jesus is the life. Jesus didn't only create life, but he is everything that that is associated with life. He is the light of the world. And I'm learning more, I learned more and more about this this week. You know, I've mentioned to uh, some of you, I think, that uh, I've started another garden in my backyard. And I want you to know that, you know, I've been at this in and out for, what, five or six years now at least. And I'm a really, really slow learner. Um, about three or four weeks ago, uh, I bought some, some vegetable plants um, at Home Depot, and I bought some cucumbers, wanted to grow more cucumbers. And uh, I decided to put them on the upper level of my two-tier garden, okay? I used to have um, raspberries and boysenberries growing on the, the top tier. But those things died. I didn't know why they died. I thought I was giving them enough water, and uh, but they never thrived. And I got frustrated, and I just chose to ignore them, and yeah, they, they died. So here I prepare the, the, the soil again, you know, give them rich nutrients. I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's all about the soil. I mean, if I give them the right soil and give them the water, they're going to thrive. And so I planted those uh, cucumber plants up there, and within the week, they disappeared. The next day, they looked all shriveled and each day after that, they became more and more not. And they had just totally disappeared after a week. Now, I, I tell you, I'm a really slow learner. And so I decided to get on the Internet on Friday to learn about gardening. And uh, the Internet said that the first thing you need to understand about gardening is where the sun is in your garden. And I had never bothered to ask that question. I planted my garden in the south of my backyard and didn't give any thought to the direction of the sun or what uh, might be blocking the sun. And lo and behold, I realized for the very first time that I had planted in the wrong place. And that's why my boysenberry and raspberry had died because there wasn't any sun. They were in the shade. My uh, cucumber plants this season were totally in the shade. And they just shriveled up and died. For vegetable plants to thrive, to have life, to bear fruit, it's got to be in the light. 
It's got to be in the Son. And John tells us about Jesus, that he is the life, that he is the light of the world. And when we choose to be dependent on him, when we choose to have a relationship with him, guess what? He illumines our eyes. And the things that we see and the life that we go through begins to make sense because we know the God of the word. This is who Jesus wants to be to every one of his creation. And when we choose to believe what John is telling us to do over and over and over again in this, when we believe Jesus, we receive the life. We begin to live for the very first time. And he gives us knowledge and he gives us wisdom and he gives us understanding in all the things that you and I go through. Jesus prays that the Father might glorify him. And the reason why he's to be glorified is because he had that eternal position along with Father before the world began. John chapter 1 is so critical. Genesis chapter 1 is so critical. You know, we live in a world where the world is working overtime to discredit who Jesus is and what God says he has done in his word, that he has created all things, and Jesus being the creator. And if the world can discredit Jesus and Genesis chapter 1, it cripples Christianity. It's important we believe in who Jesus is and what he has said and that God is the creator of it all. Jesus is the eternal creator who has always been. Going back to John 13 in his prayer, Jesus prays for glorification because He's lived his life in perfect obedience because he had that eternal position with the Father before time began. And the third reason why Jesus can be so bold in this prayer is so that the Son may continue to glorify Father. If Jesus isn't resurrected from the dead, guess what? He can't glorify the Father. And this has been Jesus' motive his entire life to glorify the Father. This is what Jesus was all about. John chapter 7, verse 18 says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. You know, as Jesus prays this prayer, that the Father might glorify him, that he be glorified. Jesus isn't praying selfishly. Jesus is praying 
ultimately that the Father be glorified. Jesus is praying for us because it's through his glorification, Jesus' glorification, that we are going to receive the blessing. And so it's not about him. It's about his Father, and it's about us. So that's the third reason why Jesus can be so bold is because he wants to continue to glorify the Father. And then number four, so that all may continue to honor the Son. Because Jesus was resurrected, because Jesus was glorified through the resurrection, we have the opportunity to continue to honor the Son. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Because Jesus rose from the grave, because he conquered sin and death, we continue to honor and glorify and praise his holy name. John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, For the, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent, who sent him. Any religion that tries to honor God but does not give honor to Jesus, the Jesus of the New Testament, gives no honor to God. To be able to honor God, Jesus says in verse 3, you've got to give God honor to Christ. And any, any religion that ignores Christ or discredits who Jesus is in the New Testament isn't a true religion. It is a cult. And you can look at the teaching from Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses and whatever other religion out there that sounds close to Christianity, how do they define Christ? How do they believe, what do they believe about Jesus? If it isn't the Jesus of the New Testament, it is a cult. It is not true. And it is sending people to hell. Those who do not honor the Son, do not honor the Father, do not know God. Because it's through Christ that we know God. Fifth reason why Jesus can be so bold in asking God to glorify him is this. Our, for our salvation and eternal life depends on it. Had Jesus not been glorified by raising from the dead, we would all be lost in our trespasses and sin. Look at verse 2. Jesus prays, you have given him authority 
over all flesh. Meaning, Jesus is referring to himself. Father, you've given authority to me over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. It's Jesus who gives us eternal life. All that the Father gives to the Father, Jesus gives to them eternal life. And in order for Jesus to fulfill that, to be the life giver, the forever life giver, he had to be glorified. What is eternal life? Jesus says eternal life is knowing God through the Son, Christ. That's eternal life. If you know God through Christ, you have life eternal. Knowing Christ illuminates our hearts and our mind and our thinking to think biblically, to have a biblical worldview and understand why there's all this chaos in this world. Because so many hearts and minds are in absolute rebellion to the God who created them. They're all enemies of God. And until we make peace with God through Christ... We continue to live in darkness. When we believe the truth of the gospel, it's like walking into the sunshine. It's like my cucumber plants. Okay, they've been alive. I planted them Friday. Got up, looked at them this morning. They haven't disappeared yet. They haven't even wilted. You know why? Because I've gotten planted in the sun. Christian, we thrive in the sun. In the sun, Jesus Christ. He is our life. He is our light. And in him, we have eternal life. First John chapter 5. Verse 12 and 20 and 21. The same John who's written the Gospel of John. John says this, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in him who is true and, and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true god and eternal life referring to Jesus verse 21 little children keep yourselves from idols when he says little children he's talking about all of us And there are all kinds of idols in this world that are competing for our attention, isn't there? I mean, anything that's more important than God 
is an idol in your life. And guess what? My garden can be an idol in my life. It consumes my thoughts and attention right now. And if it's more important than my relationship with God, guess what? My garden is an idol. But there's been all kinds of idols in my life. You know, sports has been an idol. This device has been an idol. My wife has been an idol. Children have been an idol. You know, cars that I've owned when they were brand new were an idol. You know, what's your idol? Food is my idol. And if we give our time and attention to those things other than God, it can make our life pretty miserable. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our salvation. And he asked the God he asked God the Father to glorify him so that he could be that eternal salvation, that eternal life to those who might believe. And then number six, as to why Jesus could be so bold in asking God to glorify him. For our continued salvation as our eternal high priest. Our salvation and eternal life comes not just through Jesus' death, but it comes through his life that he continues to live through his glorification. Jesus is our mediator. He's praying this prayer in front of his disciples. He's he's exemplifying for them the mediator that he is going to be forever. And for Jesus to be that mediator he had to be glorified. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 110, verse 4, this is a prophetic psalm um, from King David. Uh, God had promised David that there would be a king who would sit on the throne that would come from the line of David for all eternity. And that king is Jesus Christ. But David says this in Psalm 10, verse 4, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus isn't just a prophet. Jesus isn't just a king. But Jesus is a priest. He's our high priest who's going to live forever. John, uh, Paul understood this. Paul knew that Jesus' death was very important. 
It was the only way our sin could be forgiven. But Jesus, Paul understood the resurrection as well. And the, the resurrection is so much more just the crucifixion. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. I think it's a screen here. Romans 5 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've been just justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were in our enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What is much more than his death? It's his life. Yes, Jesus provided the the forgiveness through the sacrifice of his life, but Jesus lives to make intercession for you and I. He sits at the right hand of Father today, and he is our eternal high priest making intercession for us. He is praying for you. And he's exemplifying this through his prayer in front of the disciples. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 through 28. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is living for today to make intercession for you and I. This is good news. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first first for his own sins and then for those of people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect, forever. Hebrews seven sixteen, Who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, a glorified life. And Jesus prays that the Father might glorify him so that our salvation might continue through our eternal high priest. Jesus, as mediator, continues to save us today. It, wasn't, it isn't just a, sal- a salvation that was a point in time. 
I, I was saved when I was eight years old, but you know what? It continues to be a daily salvation through Jesus Christ who continues to pray for me and for you. So how can be Jesus be so bold to pray that he might be glorified? It was because of his perfect obedience. It was because of his eternal position before he emptied himself and became a man and lived among us. It's because that the Son might continue to glorify the, the Father. It's so that we might continue to glorify the Son. It's for our salvation and our eternal life. It depends on his glorification. And finally, because it's the only way Jesus can continue to be our eternal high priest. So when Jesus prayed this prayer, Father, glorify me. He wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't praying selfishly. He wanted his father to be glorified. And he wanted to to continue to be our eternal high priest who would save us forever. That's your God. You're not alone. Yeah. You're going to go through high water. You're going to go through intense fire. But God knows every number of hairs on your head. And nothing is going to touch you. Nothing. And even if you lose your very life, you're going to be in his presence for all eternity. We win. We win regardless. And we got a high priest who's praying for us all, every step of the way. Be encouraged, church. Be encouraged, Christian. He loves you. And he's there for us. Would you pray with me, please? Before we pray, I guess my question to you is, heads are bowed, is, Do you know God personally? There's only one way. It's through the Son. It's through knowing what Jesus did for you. Believing in who Jesus said he was. And is he created you. He is sustaining you. He is praying for you that your eyes would be open. And by grace, by God's grace, he can open your eyes. If you'll just surrender and say, Jesus, believe in who you say you are. You don't have to understand it all. You just have to that simple, childlike faith who humbles himself and says, God and wrong. Jesus, I know you died for my sin. 
and only you can forgive me of my sin. I leave. I believe that you came back to life three days later. I believe that God glorified you. My friend, if you believe, you're no longer just his creation. You are now his child. He's your father. He's your daddy. Now live in the light. Live in the sun. He will give you the understanding and the wisdom that you need to navigate navigate a very difficult world. Father, encourage children this morning. Know that they're not alone. Thank you, Father, for Jesus' prayer. When he prayed, even this beginning prayer of chapter 17, it was all about you. It was all about us. That he couldn't be what we needed him to be unless the Father glorify him. Father, thank you for doing that. For answering that prayer. Help us to believe you. Thank you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.